I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis. We will continue the study that we began a couple weeks ago on the covenant with Abraham. We'll start in Genesis 12. We'll review a little bit from whence we've come. And then we will continue to learn together about the covenant, God's covenant with Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, in your Bibles, we'll just kind of review a little bit and remind ourselves we learned last week, or a couple weeks ago rather, and we'll continue to learn this week that God works through our faith to give us blessings that we do not deserve. God works through our faith to give us blessings that we do not deserve. Let's just ask for God's help for a moment. We thank you, Father, for this passage of Scripture. We're thankful, Lord, for the way in which you work, even have worked through those that have gone before us and continue through your word to teach us these lessons. We pray now this morning as we consider the covenant with Abraham that we'd be reminded of your gracious character and that, Lord, we would draw closer to you through what we learned this morning. We pray these things in your son's precious name. Amen. I think my dad probably did this with me, and maybe you've done it with your kids. I've done it with mine at some point. You ever take them and you put them up on a table or you put them on a ledge, and you say, all right now, jump to daddy. Some of you are giving me this blank look like, oh, what are you talking about? No, I never tortured my kids in that way. Uh, I, some of you have. Some of you, yeah, you put them up on the table and you say, all right, jump to daddy. And uh, what do they do? especially when they're young, like they're trusting, they jump, right? And they'll just do it again and again and again. You turn around to walk away and they'll still jump, right? They're, they're, they're ready to go. You tell them to do something and they'll, they'll do it. And then they, they start to get a little older, a little wiser. And then they start to look around and say, it's a long way da- down, daddy. All right. are, are you sure? Are you sure you can catch me? I don't know. Oh, come on. Daddy's Superman. Daddy can do anything. Jump to daddy. And they'll kind of hesitantly, okay, here I come. You ready? Are are you sure? All right, I'm going to jump now. And then they get a few years older and it's like, yeah, forget it. In that moment that they are getting ready to to obey, to, to launch out and do what you've asked them to do, there's another dynamic in play than mere obedience. And that other dynamic in play is what? It's faith. It's, it's trust. That, that you can perform on the promise that you've made that I, I will catch you. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we looked at Abraham. And we looked at the fact that God had given him a command to do something that was undoubtedly very difficult for him to leave the place that he was familiar with, to leave his extended family, to leave his clan, and to go out into a place that God didn't even tell him yet what it was. They go to a place, God says, that I will show you. And this whole covenant was introduced to us through a command in chapter 12 and in verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And so a couple weeks ago, we considered the command. 
And then we consider the fact that, that God was asking him to do something. He was, he was giving him a command, but he gave him associated promises. And we articulated those in the form of seven promises. You remember these? There was a great nation that would come from Abram or later called Abraham. There was an individual blessing that would go to Abraham himself. He was promised a great name, a blessing that would reach far and wide to the nations. There would be a blessing, uh, God says to Abraham, on those that bless you, and likewise there would be a curse on those that curse you. And then there was a promise that, that all nations would be blessed by this one who would come through the seed of Abraham. And so we saw in chapter 12 that God, or that Abraham obeyed God. He set out in faith. His obedience was intertwined with his faith. It was seen in his faith. And really this morning, as we think about what God is doing through this Abrahamic covenant, through this promise, we see that explained even more. So there's a couple acts of obedience. There are really three specific acts of obedience in Abraham's life, and this was the first. So in verse 4, Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed. Now the covenant is formalized in chapter 15, and this is kind of right about the area that we, we broke off last week that this covenant is actually formalized. It's made in chapter 15. And I want us to look at this a little bit in more detail. Chapter 15 of Genesis. And in verse 1, we see God making a covenant. The promises of which are based on the, on the person of God. So in verse 1, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. So God starts by saying who he is. First of all, I'm your defender. That's the image of the shield, right? I protect you. So you don't need to be afraid, Abraham, because I am the one who protects you. But beyond that, he says, I am your exceedingly great reward. I wonder, do we ever sometimes think we need something else, something that we lack? There's something that I really want, that I really long for, that, that it is so acute that I, I feel like I need it. God comes to Abraham and says, I am all you need. I am your provider. I am the one that satisfies your every need. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves of that, that the character of God is such that He is a provider. He is a supplier. He gives us what we need. And in fact, the very thing that we need, think that we need, we, we might not. What we need is God Himself and all that He provides. So, so God comes to him and He addresses the promise first by, by giving Abraham the explanation of his character. Often when we're tempted to doubt, when we're tempted to disobey, what we need to look to is the character of God. What is true about God in this situation? I was recently talking with someone who is struggling with some circumstances that are taking place in their life, difficult circumstances, trying circumstances, and, and that was my question. What is true about God in this situation? 
What do we need to remind ourselves of? What do we need to meditate on about the character of God when we're tempted to be fearful, when we're tempted to doubt, when we're tempted to disobey? I don't know what struggle you're going through this morning, but perhaps you are in your own life struggling with some sin that is tempting you, some doubt that you have in your heart. What about the character of God? answers that doubt what about the character of God causes you to realize that it is right to obey him and what should you be meditating on this is this is how God begins he says I am your shield your exceedingly great reward and then Abraham expressed his doubts Lord God what will you give me seeing I go childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my own house is my heir, right? So, so Abraham says, now you've given me this promise, Lord, that there will be this great nation that will spring from me, that, that will be my, my heritage, yet I don't even have a child. The promise, God, that you've given me does not seem to be coming true. And this is now years after God made that initial promise. So Abraham is saying, I don't know. I'm wondering if this is really going to come true. Now, verses 1 through 3 and then um, verses 4 through 11 are kind of two important scenes in the life of Abraham. But there's this brief intermission. So I want us to read verse, starting in verse 4. This is, this is the part that emphasizes the descendants. So remember we said that there were kind of three different divisions of the covenant with Abraham. One of them is really focused on the descendants, and that's really what is emphasized here in this first act, beginning in verse 4. The word of the Lord came to him saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Just reiterating this promise that this will be your offspring, your physical offspring, Abraham, will be your heir. He brought him out and said, Now look towards heaven and count the stars if you were able to num number him. And he said, So shall your descendants be. So God reiterates this promise. There will come from you, from your physical seed, a great nation. And then look with me at verse 6. So I'm in Genesis 15, and verse 6 is tremendously important. And he believed in the Lord... And he accounted it to him for righteousness. Now, there is a lot in verse 6. So he, that is Abraham, right, believed in the Lord. And the Lord accounted it to him for righteousness. All right, so let's kind of pick that apart a phrase at a time. If you work with the books at your workplace or you even just at home keep your own checkbook, you know what this word means, accounted. So you'll have an, an account and you will deduct from that account and you will put it in another account. You will consider something to be so. You will have credits and debits, right? You will Take it from one account, you'll debit it from one account, and you will credit it to another account. That's the idea of what's taking place here. Okay, God accounted it. What did he account? 
Well, go back to the beginning of verse 6, that he believed in the Lord. In other places, it will refer to the faith of Abraham. So God takes this faith of Abraham and he puts it as a credit to the account of Abraham. He accounts it how? As, notice the end of verse 6, righteousness. Now this is important because we have no righteousness of our own. If you understand biblical theology, you understand that we are all destitute before God. We are all bankrupt of any goodness that will merit standing before God. And anything that we can offer, the Bible says, is what? As filthy rags. And so an important question for us to consider is how can we be made righteousness? Well, verse 6 tells us that Abraham was counted righteous before God. But it was not because of Abraham's righteousness. It was because it was accounted to him by faith. In the New Testament, we see in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, by grace, that is unmerited favor, are you saved through what? By grace through faith. The accounting of righteousness comes through faith. Now, verse 6 may seem to be a bit of a departure from the narrative, and in fact, it, it kind of is. It's kind of a, 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 a pause to give theological explanation to what's taking place here. But this is probably not uh, chronologically significant. It's probably just a note. So I take verse 6 to, not, to, to be indicative of the course of life of Abraham, not necessarily a note in this point in the chronology. This probably is not the first time that uh, Abraham exercised faith. Why do I say that? Because in Hebrews 11, it says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go to a place that he would receive his inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. So the writer of Hebrews tells us that Abraham has already exercised faith when he went out. That's back in 15 chapter 15. That happened decades ago. And so this verse 6 notes for us how Abraham was made righteous with God and how he lived by faith. The idea presented here is that Abraham believed God before and he now believes him again. This is the pattern of Abraham's life. That obedience and faith Go together. Now, we know that Abraham's faith was not flawless, right? We know that Abraham doubted and sinned in his doubt. If you know much about the account of Abraham, this is Genesis 22 uh, versus Genesis 20, where we see different ways of Abraham acting because he acts by faith in one setting and not in the other. But the, the course of Abraham's life is that of faith. So, verse 6 is tremendously important in the narrative. It is important in understanding how the covenant with Abraham was expressed. As God blesses Abraham, he does so through Abraham's faith. So, note a couple things about Abraham's faith. First of all, 
faith produces right standing, not obedience. Okay? His faith was accounted for righteousness. It says in verse 6, not his works were accounted as righteous. Not his obedience. So if you care to turn over, you may. You'll see it here on the screen as well. Romans 4 gives us a commentary on this. So Paul in Romans 4 is explaining justification through faith alone. I mean, that's one of the major themes of Romans. And he uses Abraham as an example. So Romans 4, we read it in our call to worship, verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Right? Uh, Abraham was not justified by what he did. He was not justified by his obedience. Otherwise, he would have something to boast about. By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, not of works, lest what? Anyone should boast, right? If we have righteousness that merits standing before God, we can get to heaven and say, hey, look what I did. We have something to boast of. Well, Paul makes the case here that, that Abraham had no such thing. What does the scripture say? Verse 3, and it now quotes our text, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now this is this is important because this is the to understand this, to understand what is happening with Abraham is at the very heart of the gospel. At the very heart of how we are made right before God. And so Paul sums up his argument in verse 4 by saying now to him who works the wages are counted as not as not as not counted as grace but as debt and then he drives it home in verse 5 but to him who does not work but does what believes his faith that faith is accounted for righteousness do you want to be right in your standing before god do you want to stand before God as righteous? How do you do it? The answer is, you can't. You must have another one's righteousness. And the only one who is qualified to provide that righteousness is Jesus Christ. And Abraham, looking forward to the one who would be the Redeemer, us looking back on the one of the Redeemer, can only appropriate that righteousness through faith. We are saved by grace, God's good gift that we do not deserve, that is appropriated, that is applied to us by faith. This is why religion will never save us. This is why good deeds, giving to others, being kind to our neighbor, being religiously active will never give us standing before God. All that will do will be a source of our own pride. Oh, look what I did. But it will never give us standing before God. Abraham's faith was accounted for righteousness. 
And so verse 6 is tremendously important because it, it really explains to us the relationship between obedience and faith. Faith produces right standing. It produces righteousness. It, it, it makes us righteous before God, not obedience. You say, oh, well, then, then I don't have to be obedient. I just have to have feelings of faith. No, no, no. The faith that is being talked about here is a faith that is now put into action. Right? This is not an empty faith. This is not a faithless faith, if I can put it that way. It is a faith that is so real, it moves us. And it produces righteous acts. It produces obedience. Do you see that in the account with Abraham? He goes out to a country that he doesn't even know yet because of his faith. And so we must have faith to obey. I mean, a lot of times we think about, you know, believing God, having faith, and obedience as completely separate, but the reality is that they are, they're linked together. That obedience flows from faith, and for you and I to obey God, for us to, first of all, obey the gospel, submit to the gospel, repent and believe, we must exercise faith, saving faith. But that saving faith then must continue to live. And every time we are called on to obey, to do something that does not seem best to us, but God has told us it is best, we must exercise faith. Do you see the link between faith and obedience? So when I am tempted to lie in order to manipulate circumstances to get my way, I must instead tell the truth and exercise faith that God knows best and will orchestrate those circumstances for His own glory and my good. When I am tempted to cheat on my taxes because I think I need a little bit more money to come in that check, in that tax return, but I resist that temptation and I tell the truth, I, I am exercising faith that the God who said He would provide for me will do as He promised. When I'm tempted to lust, I must look to the God who says He meets all of my needs and that His way is best. I must exercise faith. When I'm tempted to complain about or undermine my authority, I must instead exercise faith knowing that a sovereign God has placed me in that circumstance and has called upon me to submit. When I'm tempted to get angry and speak foolishly to my family so that I can make things happen the way I want to happen, I instead must resist that temptation and believe in God that acting righteously towards my family is the best according to what he says. Do you understand that every time we're tempted, we are really at the root of it being tempted in unbelief. And the root of every one of our sins is failure to believe God, failure to believe what he has said. 
And so because of that, faith and obedience are linked together. We must have faith to obey. And in fact, obedience naturally comes as a result of saving faith. It doesn't mean it will always be perfect. It doesn't mean that we will not fail from time to time. But when we are believing in God, that is the energy, that is the source, that is the grace by which we obey. Now there's another act here in this passage here in chapter 15, and uh, that is when the covenant is reiterated. He said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur. I'm in verse 7. Verse 8, he said, Lord, how will I know that I will inherit it? He said, bring me uh, a heifer. He instructs him in the sacrifice. He brought these things and cut them in two, down the middle, placed each piece on op- opposite the other. And then verse 11, the vultures came down on the carcass and Abraham drove them away. You say, what is this all about? What is this, this heifer and the cutting it in half and, and distributing the pieces? Okay, this is part of the ancient ceremony that was associated with covenants, right? So how do we know that the covenant was formalized right here? Because this is the process by which the covenant was, was uh, initiated. So that's what verse 7 and 11 are, 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 7 through 11 are all about, is this covenant that is being made with Abraham. It is being formalized uh, through this means of sacrifice. But what we see as we continue throughout the story of Abraham and really as we continue about the, through the account of the entire rest of the Bible is what? God keeps his promises. So we see it reaffirmed in chapter 17. If you skip ahead and you look at verses 19 and following, God reiterates the covenant. Sarah, your wife, will bear a son, and you will call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. God reiterates again, I am going to keep my promises. I keep my promises. He reiterates it again, verse 26, verse 28. And if you go all the way to Deuteronomy, God's chosen people, the offspring of Abraham, You are a holy people. I'm in chapter 7 of Deuteronomy. To the Lord, the Lord has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the people of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you or choose you because you were more in number than any people, for you were the least of all peoples. I am not choosing you because of your goodness, Israel. I'm choosing you out out of my own grace, God says. Because the Lord loves you. Because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So now we see Israel has gone through the exodus. God is making of them a great nation. He is is leading them to the promised land all because God promised he would do so. Not because of their merit or their own goodness, but because God had made a promise to his chosen one, Abraham. And so what do we see in the Abrahamic promise, the Abrahamic covenant? We see that God works. God works through His own grace. Deuteronomy, you're not not a mighty people. I didn't choose you because you were mighty people. 
I chose you because of my own goodness, my own intention, God says, to do so. It's not something that we deserve. These are not blessings that we deserve, but God works. And how does he do that? He does it through faith. So as Abraham believes God, God fulfills his promises. And so for us this morning, obedience is an expression of our faith. When we are tempted to to fail, to disobey, it is because we are failing to believe God. God works through faith to give us blessings that we do not deserve. Father, we thank you for our time together. We thank you for your word that teaches us, that gives us examples of heroes of the faith who have gone before, who have believed in you, who have trusted in you. And I pray that even as we have seen an example of justification by faith in Abraham, that you might continue to remind us that we are not deserving of your salvation. But Lord, as we obey you, you in your grace, bestow upon us blessings, blessings that we do not deserve. I'm going to give you just a moment to remain bowed before the Lord, to seal the decisions and the lessons of this passage of Scripture in your own heart.